0: This is Rachel Lynn, and you are listening to Upstage Left. What a crazy time we are living through. I am so grateful that you are listening to the podcast. It's been a little while since I've published an episode. Um, I just got back to New York over a month ago, and it took a little time to adjust to life here and saw a lot of plays, tried to catch up. I'm really grateful for Haruna Lee, my latest guest, for meeting me last week. We sat down right before all the theaters shuttered and many productions closed their runs early, including of Haruna's play, Suicide Forest, which had just been extended. Haruna's play had been running up at the Art and Y Theater in Hell's Kitchen after transferring from the Bushwick Star, where it ran last year. If you didn't get to catch the show, I will say that... We are all in the same boat. There are so many shows that closed early and didn't get their full runs, which is so sad for the performers and the audiences. But uh, hopefully, this too shall pass and we'll find ways to keep making art. So, yeah, that's it for now. Stay safe and healthy. Here is Haruna Lee. Congratulations on the extension that was announced. Thank
1: you. Thanks so much. For your show, Suicide Forest.
0: How does it feel to be extending?
1: It feels complicated amidst this whole coronavirus situation. I'm not sure if, um, I'm curious if we're gonna make it all Mm -hmm. the way to the end, um, and I am feeling really grateful for every day that i get with this cast and doing this show um everybody's felt like home you know this is our second time second year working on this project so um yeah i'm curious how it's gonna pan out if we'll make it to the extension dates
0: has it affected your audiences so far
1: at all Surprisingly, last week um, we had pretty full houses all the way across, um, but I know it has generally been affecting ticket sales for Mm. our show and I think in general uh, with theater.
0: You mentioned this is the second year, you know, last year it was at the Bushwick Star around the same time. For people who haven't seen the show or might not get the chance to see it, do you want to give a little brief... Uh, logline or summary?
1: Yeah, Suicide Forest is, uh, what I like to call a nightmare play, Mm -hmm. um, that is about, um, Asian and Asian American sexuality, uh, and, uh, identity and, uh, how we grapple with self-erasure. And how they, that may have been um, informed by uh, intergenerational relationships and trauma. Specifically looking at my relationship with my own mother on stage.
0: And your actual mother is also in the show.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which is
0: a, an amazing amazing thing.
1: Horrifying, (laughs) amazing and horrifying at the same time.
0: I have so many questions about that, even to that little piece, but, um, when did you start developing the show? What was the impetus?
1: I started writing it, um, in grad school, actually, at Brooklyn College. Um, this is back in 2014. Um, I, uh, had just read Audrey and Kennedy's Funny House of a Negro, and, um, she does this incredible thing in her play where she uses uh, her own kind of black femme psychic uh, space as the landscape of the play itself. And I was really curious what that uh, landscape would look like for me if it uh, was uh, my Japanese culture. Um, And so that led me down this path of um, exploring the suicide forest, Aokigahara, or Jukai, there's like all these different names for it, Um, but it's a real forest at the base of Mount Fuji, uh, and it's a very famous place where my people go to uh, commit suicide, Um, and that Got me thinking about self erasure, and I felt such an affinity to this forest that um, this is a place where people go to uh, disappear, essentially, uh, from their own will. And something about that, that kind of sacrifice, really spoke to me um, and my process, I guess, being Asian and Asian American.
0: You immigrated to the States when you were eight?
1: Yeah. From Tokyo? From Tokyo, yeah.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what that was like?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was born in Hong Kong. I grew up in Tokyo. My mom is Japanese. My father was Taiwanese-American. And um, I... Uh, we spoke Japanese at home, for, especially for my mom, who uh, really only speaks Japanese. Mm-hmm. My father was, spoke many, many languages, and so uh, my sibling and I, we went to an American international school in Japan, mm-hmm. so we were speaking English with our dad uh, at school, but then speaking Japanese at home, um, and then... Uh, my dad got cancer uh, and then he passed away and it was at that point that my mom made this wild decision to move us from Tokyo to Seattle Mm. Um, she really wanted to raise us in the states Uh, And I guess it's important to say also that I had uh, a lot of contact with the United States. Like, we had moved for several months at a time to Chicago or to Michigan um, for my dad's job. But mostly we lived in uh, Japan.
0: Was either your father or mother, did they have American citizenship or family here or something like that? My
1: father did. Oh, wow. But my mother's a green card green card holder
0: got it so did you and your sister take his citizenship when you when you were born i don't
1: yeah it's really bizarre so i'm born in hong kong uh but i had my mother's japanese citizenship and my father's american citizenship
0: oh wow and then
1: at age 21 i believe you have to choose one or the other and i chose american oh wow was that a hard choice uh, no, I think at that point um, it was pretty clear to me that I was going to be a US citizen. Um, and that in the many trips back home to Japan, um, how different I am, and that feeling of like, ooh, I don't fit in here <laughs> I- anymore. Yeah. And that feeling of um, alienation in one's home. Land was really prevalent in my growing up. Um, after we had moved to Seattle, yeah, we went back twice a year in yeah. the summer and in the winter because all of our uh, all of our family are in Japan.
0: When you first moved to the states, I'm also I also immigrated to the U.S. when I was eight, same age. Mm. Um, yeah, so I have like that feeling of. You know those memories of being a kid here. Did you miss? I mean, I heard you call Japan home or going home. Did you feel like Japan was still your home after moving to the States?
1: I think there was um, a transition period where there. I remember that time being really confusing. Like going along with my mom's decision. Um, And being a child, you don't really get to make that choice. Uh, And moving to Seattle and feeling like, all right, here's yet another chapter of my life. Uh, Just got to go with it. And missing Japan, missing uh, old friends, all of that. But of course, over time, like, it just switched. I switched over and became all... Americanized
0: Was it fast? Did you feel like you were like in school the first year and you are like, okay, now I'm American or was there resentment toward the move at all?
1: Yeah, totally <laughs> I think, um, I mean in retrospect, I I have a lot of questions about why my mm. mom chose that path and it, the play tackles that a little bit um, and she's never really given a straight answer Um, granted like I also respect her choice so much and uh, I feel like it's gotta be more complicated than just I want a good life for my children
0: Yeah,
1: Um, I think there are just so many factors like grief and how you deal with death and all of that Um, but yeah, I feel like I've strayed from the question. No, no, you oh, asked. that's a great answer.
0: And and did she have connections in Seattle? Why Seattle?
1: She did not know a single soul in mm. Seattle, and I think that's what made the choice curious as well. Mm. Um, but uh, family lore has it that my dad um, had visited the University of Washington campus a long time ago and he talked to her about how beautiful that campus is and how beautiful that city is and so uh, she says that that definitely swayed her decision which I think is freaking bizarre
0: (laughs) yeah I hear you yeah like places, my mom chose to go to Manchester and she didn't know anyone. So also wow. a gray city, like very, and I have also asked her why that city and no straight answer. It's so interesting. Mm. I feel like maybe it feels, now that I'm hearing you, I'm like, oh, maybe that's an Asian mom of that generation thing. I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel that, um, there, that, that amount of mystery feels really specific to growing up with an Asian parent Um, the lack of straight answers and um, the amount of and yet being told that there was an amount of sacrifice that Mm. transpired and that I need to remember that and hold that and (laughs) make up for that um but in a very passive way like not in your face yeah yeah (laughs) does that feel yeah for sure weirdly similar yeah
0: um it does it really does it really does so did you like Seattle growing did you stay there through until you left for college
1: yeah I stayed there we grew up on um we eventually uh uh, moved to this island called Mercer Island. Oh. Um, is that in movies
0: or something? It's such a familiar, is it famous? Mm, a
1: famous place? It is where uh, Paul Allen lives. Oh. Who helped to create Microsoft with Bill oh, Gates. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, but other than that, it's a pretty residential um, island. I think there's like, when I was living there, maybe 20,000 people on the island so. yeah um, there was only three elementary schools one middle school one high school uh, mostly white mostly Jewish uh, definitely upper middle class um, and so it yeah it took a lot of getting used to and um, and I think I really really tried hard to assimilate into that culture at the time.
0: Culture being like upper middle class
1: Whiteness. Like,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Capital
1: W. <laughs> whiteness.
0: Are you the baby or are you younger or older? I'm older. Than your sibling. Older. Mm-hmm. Did you feel a responsibility to your sibling? Like I, to lead an example? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, we talk about this, uh, Erica. My sibling and I, um, that we really didn't get along growing up because um, because growing up with an immigrant parent who doesn't speak the language, uh, it kind of fell on me to translate most everything for her. And of Mm. course, mom was doing her best, you know, but also dealing with the grief of her husband passing and moving to a new state to a new country um and just getting our life started and i think a lot of like the day-to-day stuff uh i took it upon myself to be a second parent um And so I remember like enforcing a lot of homework rules on Erica. I remember not letting Erica watch Dawson's Creek when it came out. It's like this is too (laughs) risky for you. (laughs) Risque. You cannot watch this yet. Things like that. Um and it really uh, put a damper on our relationship growing up because no, no sibling wants their other sibling to be their parent, yeah. you know. And yet I feel like um, within an immigrant household, that's pretty uh, not unusual for right. something like that to happen. How much older are you? I'm only two years older.
0: Okay, so not. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Did your mom have a job when she came to the states, or did she? She. She did.
1: She did not have a job. She. Um. What it it was and still is living off of my father's. Uh. What he left her oh, and pension and now Social Security, because she's almost 70! Wow!
0: Wow, that's amazing. If you haven't seen the show, uh, Haruna's mom does Butoh, is Butoh performer. in it. Yes. Yeah, does butoh, and it's gorgeous.
1: She started dancing eight years ago. Um, only eight years ago, so she was in her early 60s when she started performing, and I really um, saw this transformation in her. Like, I watched my mother become, um, more herself through Mm. this art form, and, like, I saw her shedding some of this, like, old skin or maybe old memory, or even, like, maybe it's, like, the skin of the parent, like a shedding of responsibilities almost, and her um, choosing to do something she loves and desires. And so uh, also it created this other language for us, like a shared language between us, um, something to talk about. Uh, So that was kind of like an impetus for us to start working together.
0: That's amazing. Can you explain for people who might not know what butoh is?
1: Yeah, let me see if I can do it any justice. <laughs> um, it is a Japanese dance form. Um, it, it's experimental uh, and quite contemporary. I believe it came out uh after world war ii as a dance form that was trying to reclaim the japanese body and so uh butoh dancers traditionally they cover their bodies head to toe in white paint white uh, powder Um, and the style itself is very low to the ground and they look almost like ghosts emerging out of the ashes of an atomic bomb, Mm. I think is an image that is often used in that dance style. Um, And so I think Japan had been experiencing a lot of westernization after the war, um, of course, and then uh, this was like an art form that was um, directly... Uh, conflicting or combating that, mm-hmm. or trying to create a more um, Japanese space, returning to uh, Japanese roots.
0: Mm. I didn't know that it came after uh, World War II. For some reason, I thought it was like an older form. So that's,
1: it like... looks like an older form, right? Yeah. It's like I think they were really working with like uh, the farmers' body, uh, the rice farmers' body, so like low and hunched over. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the shapes are not pretty Mm. or arabesque or, you know, uh, European at all. No straight lines. It's all, like, jagged and slow and kind of image-based in how they create Mm. and feels pretty spiritual, too, when you're watching it.
0: Yeah, it does. What I saw in the show, I was Mm. so moved by and affected by, but couldn't really say, articulate why or how. And then it stayed with me afterwards, mm. thinking about it a lot. Um, so how did you find your way to performance? How did you decide to go to NYU for undergrad?
1: I, my first theater experience was um, in the fifth grade on Mercer Island. Um, the school decided to do this really crazy musical that they just made up which was about Lewis and Clark's expedition through the Louisiana Purchase which included the Pacific Northwest so it was like a historical musical um, and <laughs> in the musical they had this character an indigenous character Sacagawea who led the explorers um through like f- basically facilitated their entire journey and of course, being one of the only Asian kids on this very white island, and in my own fuckery, it was like, I'm a shoo-in for this role, I I can play this, I'll do this, I'm gonna audition. Um, And I auditioned for the role and didn't get it, but they cast me as Lewis, as one of the explorers, oh, and wow. um, that's a
0: way better role.
1: It is a <laughs> better role in a in a musical with very um, fucked roles. <laughs> but there was a kind of empowerment there, um, and it probably had to do with the gender bending, and had to do with um, realizing that this whole time as a kid you know I mean I didn't have the words for this but like growing up Asian American in a predominantly white community you're kind of defined boxed in by the that role whatever that role uh means to that community yeah um and so it was like my first opportunity of stepping out of that And like albeit it was a white cis man who was you know colonizing this (laughs) country but there was in a the most um, innocent way like an empowerment in that and realizing I could be something else something more at least on stage. As a kid did you feel like you were good at playing the
0: role that was assigned to you not outside of the play like the asian-american identity did you feel a need to adhere to it or did you feel resistance already
1: i think i was really be. i think i was playing like such a strategic game as a kid like now <laughs> looking back like i think i really played played into the asian-ness when it um was beneficial to me so like mm. uh uh, you know, people assuming I'm smart, people assuming that I, um, am good at instruments or things like that, um, and then other times, like, when it came to socializing, um, and at my school, it was, like, you know, such a huge popularity contest, we had jocks and the cheerleaders and the band nerds and all of that, and really, like, um... And, like, I didn't want to be grouped in with the Asian Asians, mm-hmm. period. And so I had white friends and that felt like a strategy as a child to, like, fit in more mm-hmm. and to earn more points in this very messed up system, yeah. hierarchical system of that is high school.
0: yeah. So after the Lewis and Clark musical adventure, did you just keep going back to the theaters and, you know, you hooked? I
1: did, I did. I was so hooked. I joined a children's choir, like a performing um, choir where the director would create a medley out of, like, every existing musical. Because I don't think they had the license to do the musical, so Mm. they would just, like, take a few songs from... Every musical imaginable <laughs> and then make some theme for it and I learned um, uh, a lot of like formal dance through that and singing um, and then I joined the band and played flute for a very long time so I learned how to read music um, and it was in drama too um, and i and i want to give props to my high school drama teacher because she at this totally in this pretty like conservative community she was doing shows like ionesco's rhinoceros or um asking us to create our own work um and creating a touring children's show out of that and um asking us to step out of our comfort zone in that way and uh doing site-specific <laughs> children's shows uh, that traveled around. Uh, we did dinner theater, mm-hmm. um, and she really kind of pushed the envelope in that way. She
0: had, like, pretty progr- experimental... Yeah, or not.
1: totally progressive yeah. for that, yeah. for Mercer Island, I think.
0: <laughs> and so did
1: you... Did you know that you wanted to go to NYU? Um... I did not until, so, uh, Erica, my sibling, uh, is all, was also involved in all of these, uh, arts, uh, after school, um, groups and whatnot, and Erica was the one who found Tish and, uh, and then shared it with me, and then I kind of stole it from them, <laughs> which, uh, yeah i i should apologize <laughs>
0: <laughs> does erica still perform
1: erica does not um although uh they do they're working with like a nonprofit organization that helps um the homeless in seattle uh and in a sense like i see how they've used those traits and kind of um <laughs> use those traits in their job now in mm. a sense um, yeah
0: what did your mom think when you when, when you decided that you wanted to take this route
1: my mom is such a weirdo and not a traditional Asian mother in that sense and she was so like 100% in wow. um, I think you know uh, uh, 9/11 had just happened when I was in middle school, so when I chose NYU, there was a little bit of resistance, just fear of um, of terrorism and what could happen. But uh, but with the theater aspect of it, she was totally down, which I think is <laughs> wild. <That's laughs> Not. Amazing not traditionally asian at all but she also grew up um uh or her uh she went to an arts college in japan against her mother's will and um became an interior designer before she met my dad so
0: she's kind of a rebel
1: yeah
0: yeah right that's amazing and so NYU is divided into schools, If for people who don't know, they're called studios, and there are different studios, some of them are outsourced, and they're, like, uh, one of them would be The Atlantic, or Adler, or Lee Strasberg, and Haruna went to Experimental Theatre Wing, which I would say the tradition is in, in physical acting, Grotowski's work, and other different kinds of... Methodologies.
1: Uh, Yeah, Rachel, you can speak on this (laughs) because you went there too.
0: (laughs) As a transfer, but yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Oh, where did you transfer from?
0: I was in Strasbourg for primary, which was um, not my. I was did not. I did not have a good time there. But yeah, it felt good to go to ETW. I wish I had known sooner what the schools were. I had no Mm. idea going in.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was at Lee Strasberg for the high school summer program. Oh. Um, you did Tisch Summer High? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. And did Lee Strasberg and pretty much had the same experience as you. I was like, oh God, is this what acting is? It's so brutal. Um, and then I uh, learned about the experimental theater wing um, through the RAs who who were helping us out
0: i was an ra my scene after college yeah for etw kids oh you probably changed some (laughs) some high
1: schoolers
0: lives (laughs) they're so sweet such a cool program yeah Uh, but you knew after this Shimmer high that you wanted to go to etw yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: and you stayed all four years
1: i did um At the time when I was uh, at Tisch, there was one pop-up studio that uh, Rosemary Quinn and uh, Jan Cohen-Cruz led, and it was a community-based theater program called uh, the Grassroots Performance Project. So I did that for a semester, and there were only like eight of us total in that little pop-up studio, and... It did not last very long, sadly, but...
0: What
1: was it? It was, um, a studio that incorporated, um, uh, like, oh it was, like, basically, like, applied theater, like, using theater to spread social justice, uh, work, and so... For example, I worked with uh, this woman who uh, was part of Legal Aid Society, Who uh, and so they do a ton of volunteer work uh, giving legal support to mm. people who are in housing crises, um, who are being kicked out of their homes. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I would go... Uh, part of the studio was to go and help out doing that work and learning about uh, the work they do and also just the reality of the housing crisis Uh, and then connecting that to how we uh, as NYU students are implicated in that crisis and how we're uh, creating part of creating that crisis by uh, uh, coming in as such transient you know, renters in a certain neighborhood and how that hikes, rent prices up and pushes people out. Um, and then we were asked to make pieces about it. and then we would perform them <laughs> on the streets or the streets? perform them in the lobby of uh, 721 Broadway. <laughs> or try to like uh, you know, do these pop-up theater pieces and then hold a meeting in mm-hmm. the uh, in the common room for people to come learn more about what's going on. Um, but it was a very cool, cool studio, cool project in that sense. Um, yeah.
0: When do you feel like you came into your
1: artistry? Ooh, big, big question. Um, I feel like I'm still coming into it, um, as I... Cause I sit here with you uh and I wonder if when uh I'll ever uh yeah I I don't know it feels like so ever evolving you know um yeah
0: you went to Brooklyn College for an mm-hmm. MFA in playwriting mm-hmm. what was kind of did you go right out of undergrad or did you take some time off
1: I uh, took time off after undergrad um, and did the whole actor thing um, and was very lucky to build a lot of um, relationships off the bat, so I uh, didn't audition much Mm. at all um, in those early years and was kind of going from show to show uh, in the downtown, very much in the downtown scene. Um, and learning a lot from these uh, downtown companies that have existed for a very long time and you know paved the path for contemporary theater. Um, and then uh, at one point though, I realized there weren't these roles that I'm performing don't... Um, don't allow me to be my full potential as a performer and I and who knows maybe I didn't even know that like how much of this is like me looking back in retrospect and having the right words to describe it and maybe like at the time it was just like a seed or a thought of like oh I think I need to I want to write and I want to see what it feels like to embody that writing and that could have been it Mm -hmm. um but I started writing and I started uh uh, performing in my own work and um just attempting to produce it without knowing jack shit about (laughs) producing (laughs) and roping all my friends into it from NYU um and that eventually I 2012 or 13 became the formation of uh, Haruna Lee Theater Company, which is now um, no longer a working company. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it kind of, like, coalesced into this company that uh, went on for about 10 years. Wow. Producing my plays.
0: That's amazing. So, uh, after those few years of, kind of, hanging out in the acting scene you decided to go to school to to writing to the MFA program
1: there is a very specific story around why I decided to go to grad school which is that um I uh it I got the new dramatist Van Leer fellowship which is a uh fellowship for uh playwrights who are under 30 and who are people of color mm-hmm. and um I applied and got this fellowship, but was really only a few years out of undergrad, which I think was, um, very rare. Like, my colleagues in that fellowship, uh, were already finishing up their grad MFA at Columbia or something like that for playwriting, so there was a little bit of an age gap between myself and these other playwrights, and, um, so... I kind of, like, was launched into this space that's, like, capital P, playwrights and playwriting, and, um, I, uh, was told over and over again that I didn't know how to write plays, and that my plays had no structure, or that they were messy, or that, um, and I know, uh, these people did not mean any harm, Mm -hmm. um they were really trying to help me but uh, I was just told over and over again that I didn't know how what I was doing and Mm -hmm. that at the time too like this is whatever over 10 years ago this idea of like a multi-hyphenate artist didn't really exist and so the fact that I had just Come from more of an acting track or acting career into playwriting and I really wanted to pursue both that was um, unbelievable to some of the people I had interacted with in that fellowship Um, and so it became like this uh, very taxing battle (laughs) inside me because I thought I had to choose one Mm -hmm. Um, and then but some great things about that fellowship uh uh the colleagues i had uh were very supportive and i also met young jean lee and i met taylor mack through that um process and they are you know people who have been doing that who have been interdisciplinary uh well before me and um were very inspirational and uh and so Yeah, one of the, I forget if it was Young Jean or maybe somebody else was like, you should definitely check out Brooklyn College because that is, that playwriting program is a space where you can be your own playwright. Mm -hmm. They're not going to try to fix your plays. You can Mm -hmm. write your own plays and you'll learn how to stand up for them, (laughs) essentially. That's Um,
0: amazing. Did you have that experience there?
1: I did, I did. I met so many incredible playwrights through that program who write uh the same if not crazier plays (laughs) than I do and we all um believed that these were plays and one of the amazing things about that program is um learning how to talk about those plays with each other like how do you Like, part of the work, I realized, of writing experimental plays is to be able to create the context for it and Mm. speak on the context of that play as well, so that it, um, is rooted in some history and Mm. also, uh, naming, like, the new devices within the play or the thing that it's doing, Mm. the... um, whether it be structure, form, or language, whatever it is, uh, to be able to name those things so that people have access points into the work.
0: When you left school, did you find yourself having to do that a lot?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I still, I feel like I still do. Um, It's helpful with the grant writing and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Well, let me go back to Suicide Forest for a moment. Everything that come I'm, that is coming to my mind feels like a very obvious statement. You know, my, I was just like, "Oh, it's like unlike anything I've seen before." Or,
1: just like, no, no. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I hear you. It's like uh, not your average like narrative play. Like it's not i uh, I'm uh, doing air quotes right now, but it's not a well-made play. I don't think of it as that at all. Um,
0: it's certainly not a
1: like. Tradi- it's certainly
0: not a Western canon style, traditional play, but also this idea of experimental theater. Mm. Like I am so interested because this play is now uptown,
1: in mm-hmm. a sense, mm-hmm. right?
0: So it's like you're taking this show that came from Bushwick, now is on the West Side. It's you know up an uptown in an uptown space, right? And so the idea of experimental theater, I'm doing air quotes, I'm just, <laughs> what are, what are your thoughts around that, around that label even? Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, it's been so wild performing this piece uptown and, um, and, uh, being met with, uh, air quotes again, a quote unquote uptown audience, um, And, of course, within our audience, there are people who are, you know, well-versed in experimental work or people who saw it at Bushwick Star who are coming back for a second time. Um, But there is generally, uh, in a much more macro sense, uh, this vibe amongst the audience. Uh, Like, at Bushwick, people were... Uh, more game to lean in Mm -hmm. to the absurdity uh, and the nightmare logic of the play. Um, But I think uh, our audiences right now, there are definitely people amongst the audience who maybe expect or are assuming there's going to be some sort of linear narrative to ground them. And this play just does not... Have those touchstones for them. Mm. And so it's definitely an experience. I can see them having an experience, which yeah. um, in turn is interesting how that affects or doesn't affect my performance.
0: Mm. I just, to speak on Suicide Force a little bit, what I really appreciated about it is I think from the jump, I'm like, oh, I'm in a dream space. It invites you into a dream space, even with the first image of your mother moving across the stage and it, it gives us a lot of different kinds of performativity I'm thinking about you know uptown audiences again air quotes uh expectations of what a performance should look like or feel like and this show all the performers in the show are brilliant performers and, and but they also ve- veer from what
1: yeah yeah I mean just to like name some of the ways that these performers do veer, and we consciously are, uh, chose these performers who veer from a more traditional. Uh, Thing practice is that they are all we are all a Japanese heritage cast and everybody uh, grapples with English in very different ways and so that was a layer of like you said performativity that we are consciously playing with on the uh, on top of the text of this play which uh, is mostly English with uh, a handful of Japanese uh, within but there's something about this story this text this dreamscape scape um, embodied by Japanese heritage people and the English the difficulty of speaking English through the lens of these actors that just makes the play make so much sense mm. to myself and also my director Ayo Gawa is also Japanese-American, and um, we share a really similar immigration story to this country. Mm. So she also has access, has had access to both languages growing up, and she's a way better Japanese speaker, though, than I am, which I'm jealous about. <laughs>
0: so what is your response to those people who come and maybe don't buy in? right away or you you feel because at the end of the show there is a direct address house lights come up and you're looking directly at your audience and engaging with them and so you know how you said how it does or doesn't affect your performance you know how how do you navigate that space
1: yeah we like the other day um so act one, or the first part of the play, is incredibly dark, and it gets darker and darker as it goes along, and about three-fourths of the way through in act one, we had one white gentleman in his 50s, probably, get up defiantly, come down to the the front of the stage, and walk out, and that that is, to me, so... I don't know it's like indicative of um of this uptown audience and I don't read it as like um like a diss or like a or what's another word like a betrayal or anything it just is I guess like I don't even know if uptown or like experimental or downtown are the right words but it's like maybe like a primitive language to describe like a group of people who've gathered together and who have certain values or like expectations like this man was so some somehow so deeply offended by this japanese play by by and for japanese people telling this very dark story which We've all agreed is our story, and he couldn't handle it. It was far too much, and he had to walk out. And that, in itself, felt like a performance uh, mm. to our performance. Um, and it's just, all I can say is it's it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then to, to on top of all of this, there's so much sexual imagery and sexual referencing, and and again his mom is in the show
1: <laughs> and so
0: what was it like to put into the space sex with your mother?
1: Yeah but great question. <laughs> so I think the sex stuff for me and the sexuality is like... And I've been thinking about it a lot with my own uh, exploration or process with gender as well and really realizing that Asian or Asian American femininity and sexuality is so, so codified by, by this white gaze and objectification and i've never ever 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 been able to escape that or release myself from that and so my relationship to my own body and my own sex and sexuality has from the moment i stepped foot in this country been defined by somebody else Mm. and so i feel like that uh content or that topic is so therefore so important to me because I am an incredibly sexual voracious uh fierce human who loves sex in all different kinds of ways but I wasn't necessarily allowed wasn't allowed to express that in any liberated way mm. ever um and so part of I think the play, knowingly or unknowingly, just became so much about my sex and sexuality as a way to reckon with the past, as a way to move forward. Um, Realizing that my mother, even though we never talk about sex or, uh, I mean, we touch on sexuality a little bit uh, because I came out as queer in college and so that's something we've grappled with together, and now with gender coming out as non-binary, something we're uh, working through together. But also realizing that even though we don't talk about it, my mother is an Asian woman who has her own story of sex and sexuality and, and how taboo that is for a mother and a child to consider their own bodies in that way and their own desires. Um, all of that is so exciting to me as, like, a playing field for performance, I guess. Did your
0: mother know before before starting rehearsals that this was what the show was going to be? Did she have any—did you face any resistance from her?
1: No, not at all. She um, had a chance to read the script. Granted, I have no idea how much of it she actually understood because um, of that uh, language barrier, But um, she had the script and I think she, in this point in her life, is so ecstatic about performing that the desire to perform maybe is like (laughs) more so than like, or I don't know, or maybe she's just this like wise, wise um, human who is like open to the idea of like accepting her, child's sexual proclivities or <laughs> I don't know what there was a lot of openness around it and that I give my mom bad props for
0: there's something so beautiful about so many lineages coming through you know it's you're both rebels and perform, you're sharing sure tradition of performance and then of course your DNA and all of that it's just so powerful to see two generations, true. you know, not not that I'm advocating that everybody's parents should be in shows with them or <laughs> we should all enlist our children, but there is something very powerful, especially because I don't often see that in an Asian American or Asian right. lineage that way right. on stage or in performance.
1: So. Going back to what we were talking about earlier about the mystery or um, the lack of uh, stories or words that surround those relationships, parental relationships and Asian and Asian Americanness. ness um, The play in that sense really feels like um, a possibility for the two of us to uh, have a frank conversation. And if, I mean, it's scripted, but there's something like in between the the scriptedness or like just the act of performing together uh night after night is like creating an unspoken understanding which is maybe its own the story the (laughs) the story that we're creating together
0: yeah thank you thank you Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard, please think about giving us five stars or leaving us a review and following us at Upstage Left Podcast on Instagram or Twitter. Have a great one.